to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. For the last three weeks, I preached a series called Easter. And it was a series, obviously, that, thank you, that dealt with events leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus, and then culminating last Sunday in the resurrection of Jesus. I really felt led of the Lord to go to a, a story that is the, in the post-resurrection of Jesus, and it's found in this passage, and I want to read it today, uh, and we're having a little fun with it. We're calling it Mission Possible. It looks impossible, but when you take the I am out, you get possible. And here's what it says. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Man, that's powerful right there. I'm gonna preach about that in a minute, but that's powerful, isn't it? I wanna see that. How about y'all? And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, that's really important, working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. You wanna say amen to the word this morning? Amen, Amen. you can be seated today. Okay, so this is a post-resurrection event. After Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday morning, he appeared in a room where the 11 apostles were. Now, he didn't knock on the door, he just appeared in the room. I think that's cool. I hope that what he could do in his resurrected body, I can do in my resurrected body. Where I don't have to open a door, I can just think and and then transport there. Would that not be cool? And for those of us like me who are mischievous, I want to appear behind somebody and gooch them. (laughs) You can have fun with a resurrection body. And so Jesus appears in this room out of nowhere and it terrified them. They thought he was a ghost because they did not believe the reports of those who had told them that they had seen him alive, which was Mary Magdalene. Even Peter, who was one of the 11, actually had seen him, but they didn't believe Peter. And so he proves to them, he says, give me something to eat. And he eats and he says, look, touch me. I have a a body like you, I'm not a ghost. And finally they became convinced and then they scolded, he scolded them. And I know he didn't, you know, he didn't rip them apart. He just probably chastised them gently, but he scolded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. He said, why are, you, why are y'all like this? I told you time and again that I was going to do this. Y'all just don't get, but boy, they did after that event. Now, once he scolded them, got that out of the way, he said something to them that was of the utmost importance. And here's why. Because what he said next to them is not just for them, it's for you. It's for me. It's for this church. It's for the church. 
Okay, so we need to look at this and we need to understand. Now, before we get into this, I'm going to deal with something and get it out of the way. I, you are intelligent. I have an intelligent congregation. You guys are smart. And it may be that in your Bible, you have a study note or you've heard this before, read this before. Many scholars question the authenticity of this passage of Scripture in Mark. There are two reasons. Now, I've taught you before that we do not have the original copies of Mark. That copy long was destroyed. We have copies of copies of copies of copies, okay? So the earliest manuscript copies that we have do not contain this passage in Mark. So some scholars say, you know what? It, somebody added it after the fact, so it's not original by Mark. And the other thing they say is that it doesn't read like the rest of Mark. Okay, well, that, that, that could be true. I, th I think it's very possible that since this was the last page of the gospel that was written on a parchment, it's very possible those parchments got lost. The last page got lost or could have got destroyed. It's, it's also possible, I mean, a lot of people think it, you know, it doesn't necessarily not sound like Mark. Here's, here's the issue. The Bible was written in the first century. In the second century, you had church fathers like Justin Martin and Arrhenius, a guy named Tatian. These guys were church fathers. They all wrote that when they had their copies of the Gospel of Mark, okay, and they're only one generation removed, that their copies had these verses in them. Okay, so that's, that to me carries a lot of weight. Um, the other thing is the earliest translations of the Bible that we have have this in it. So I personally think, professionally think, pastorally think, theologically think it belongs in the Bible. I don't think there's anything in there that conflicts with anything else in the Bible. Let me just give you this too, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. If you come from a background where you don't believe in the laying on of hands and sick people getting healed and speaking in new tongues and casting out demons and those kind of things, and you don't believe the easiest thing to get rid of that is just to write that, that off and say, well, I don't think that belongs because not for biblical reasons, for personal reasons. I got a feeling some of that may have come into play here, okay? But we're a Pentecostal church. How I many you know we don't have any problems with these things? So we're going to talk about it in a minute. So I want to get that out of the way. I think this is the word of God. Now, Jesus speaks of three dynamics that should characterize every believer. Three dynamics that should characterize your life. Three dynamics that should characterize my life. Three dynamics that should characterize this church, High Praises Church. Three dynamics that should characterize every church. We're going to look at these, okay? I'm just going to preach. Y'all ready? Here's number one, and it's a command. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right? That's, that's for everybody. Listen, that is not just for missionaries who are called to Africa or Korea or Asia or whatever. This is for everybody. Go into all the world and preach the you know, people. Say, oh, yeah, that's for the missionaries. No, uh, last time I checked, if you live in Iva, that's in the world. You might have seen some people that are out of this world there. There might be a few folks that seem otherworldly. But if you're from Iva or Star or Honey Path or Belton or Williamston, or the Greenville area, or Powdersville, or wherever you're from, or of course Anderson, listen to me, that's the world. So we are supposed to not, and you know, I can't preach. Well, that it doesn't mean like preaching like I preach. It means to proclaim, to share. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our calling. That's our responsibility. Now, why is this so important? Because it's called the Great Commission. Now, let me just teach you something. There are actually two Great Commissions. This is Great Commission number one. 
This occurred on the same day when Jesus rose from the dead, that early, that, or that day, that Sunday. Later, 40 days later to be exactly, when he went back to heaven, he met with the apostles one more time, this time on a mountain. This was in a room. The next time was on a mountain. This is in Matthew 28. And he gives them an extended version of the Great Commission. That one says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all power, authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Excuse me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So you got Mark saying, writing him saying, go into all the world and preach. Then in the end, he's saying, go all in the world and make disciples. Put the two together. How do you make disciples? You got to preach the word. You don't become a disciple by joining a church. You don't become a disciple of Jesus by attending a church. You don't become a disciple of Jesus by pretending to serve the Lord. I have met more people that I, I don't want to meet any more like this, but I know I will, who talk to me, they don't go to church, they don't serve the Lord, okay, but they pretend to serve the Lord. And they, when they talk to me and I'm a pastor, they want, to pretend, they want me to think that they serve the Lord. So they go out of their way to just let me know that they do certain things because they want me to think that they serve the Lord. When the reality is that I don't think they serve the Lord, okay? That's not, that's not a disciple. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ by hearing the gospel Believing the gospel, repenting of your sins, trusting in God by faith. Your only way you're saved is through faith and leaning on the grace of God, asking God to forgive you and cleanse you. And when that happens, you become a child of God and you become a follower of Jesus Christ. He becomes the Lord of your life and you serve him. And so you walk under his leadership and you follow him and you follow his teachings. That's what it means. You, know, you say, Pastor, again, why is this so important? Because the Great Commission is the mission of the church. The Great Commission is the mission of the church. I've preached this before. I'm going to keep preaching it because that's my job. The Great Commission is our mission. It's your purpose. Listen to me, y'all. If you're saved, you're born again. Your purpose now, the main thrust of what God wants you to do is for the, the, to take the people that you know that aren't saved, and you're supposed to, when the door opens, the opportunity rises, you're supposed to share Jesus with them. Talk to them about the Lord to help them to understand how they too can be born again, they can be saved, their life can be changed, get off the road to hell and get on the road to heaven. It motivates everything we do. Now, I have seen churches, I have been in churches that were totally inwardly focused. Everything that church did, every program, every ministry was all about that church. So you had men's ministries and women's ministries and breakfasts and events, and they had youth ministries and children's ministries and all these events, softball teams, basketball teams, all the church picnics, all these things they do. But it was all about us getting together and all of us having a good time and all of us fellowship with one another. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's all they do. They never talk about Jesus. They never witness. They never encourage their people, train their people. They don't do like we do here. In growth track, and everybody's been through growth track will tell you this. I, I, the reason I skip the first service and go in there, I have somebody else preach because I want to go in there for two reasons. I want to connect with the new people in our church who come to growth track, which the next one is in June. But I want to meet with them. The second reason is the very first thing I do, ask anybody who's been through growth, the very first thing I do is I share the gospel. Because, you know, it's just because people come to church doesn't mean they're saved. And so I want to make sure that the very first thing they hear as they're coming to our church is how to get right with God, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, listen to me, 
That is what we are about. I teach people in the growth track. I said, you're going to get blessed here. We're going to have a lot of ministries that will bless you. But look, you need to understand Sunday morning is about winning the lost. I know sometimes, like this morning, I'm going to preach a message to the body. But nine times out of ten, most of the time, I'm, we're giving an appeal or somehow we're sharing the gospel. Even when we talk about growth track, we share the gospel. When we do the visitor's cards nine times out of ten, we share the gospel. I didn't this morning, but we share the gospel. Okay, so that's what everything we do centers around that, y'all. That's everything. Why don't we have this? We don't have that because it gets in the way of sharing the gospel. Why don't we have this event? We don't have this event because we're going to spend all our resources on a little party between the, the church. What we need to do is we need to go reach other people and bring them into the church. That's what we are about. That's why our statement of purpose is making disciples of Jesus one person at a time. That's a great commission. Y'all want to say that with me because y'all know it. Go. Making disciples of Jesus. It's our statement of purpose. Why everybody can quote it. If you're new, you're like, wow, everybody knew it. Yeah, because it's important to us. It is, it is, it is the main emphasis. Okay? And so we, we got to make disciples. Let me just, God gave me this. I got a lot to share, and I don't know if I'm going to get it all in. But God gave me this. I was in prayer this week. Pursuing and fulfilling the great commission or fulfillment of the great commission comes in your pursuit of the kingdom of God. And I don't think in a lot of churches, pastors don't talk enough about the kingdom of God. But we try to talk about that here because the church fits in the kingdom of God. A lot of times we want to put the kingdom of God in the context of the church. But the church fits in the context of the kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It's Jesus rule and reign. That's all it is. The kingdom of God is Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is in control. Okay? One of these days, the rapture is going to take place. The resurrection is going to take place. The church is going to leave this earth. But the kingdom of God will still continue. See, the church fits in the kingdom of God. So what, how does the kingdom of God and the church work together? How does the kingdom of God and the Great Commission work together? All right, here's what Jesus said. Jesus shows up, talks to Nicodemus. He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He can't even see the kingdom of God. So you have to be born again to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to repent and be born again to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus said to us, I confer upon you a kingdom. We're part of the process. We're supposed to be helping in this process. Thus the great commission comes in. All right? So how does all this come together? Here's how it all comes together. We need Jesus in charge, Jesus in control, Jesus sitting on our hearts. All right? Here we go. You take somebody who's in sin, is Jesus in charge of their life? If you don't know, the answer is no. Okay, sin is in charge. The devil's in charge. Death is in charge. They rule their life. They're in bondage to sin. But when you preach the gospel and they hear the good news and they believe it and they repent and they confess their sins and they have faith in God and lean on God's grace, God saves them and changes them and kicks the devil off the throne. Sin has to get out. And then Jesus comes in and sits on the throne of their life and he rules and reigns in their hearts. Okay, so that's why... Here's how it comes together in the Lord's Prayer, which is a good guide. I use it every day, okay? It should be the disciples' prayer. In the Lord's, the first thing you do after you spend time worshiping and praising Jesus, because you should never go rushing into his presence, you should always go in, spend time with him, love on him, thank him, and praise him for what he's done. Then the first thing you do is you don't pray about your finances, your job, your family. The first thing you do is you pray for the lost. Your kingdom come. Now, that can mean a lot of things, and I don't have time to preach all that, but one of the main things it means is that you ought to pray, God, may your kingdom come where you're not ruling yet. 
I need you to come. I know you ruled in my life, Lord. I want you to rule in my life, but I got a sister who's lost in sin. They need to be saved. Lord, please let your kingdom come. Come and rule in her heart. God, my coworker's not saved. God, save my boss. How many of you like to have a saved boss? Yeah, God, save my boss. God, Holy Spirit, convict him. And you see, that's how you're praying. When you pray your kingdom, thy kingdom come, that's pursuing the great commission. That's being commission-minded. You see what you're doing? You're, you're planning. And then, oh, but get ready, because if you're praying for your coworker to get saved, and then all of a sudden one day they come in, they all messed up, and they, they just finally walk over to you, and tears get in their eyes, and they say, you're a Christian, aren't you, right? You're the real deal. I know you're the real deal. And you say, yeah. They say, I want to be born again. Will you help me? What are you going to do? Don't pick up the phone, call me. Because if you tell me, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, you handle it. Bye. You handle it. You tell them your story and his story and then lead them in the sinner's prayer. Let God change their life. That's what, and you need to pray for the global harvest, by the way. You need to pray beyond your little world. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. Okay, so if you live in Williamston, pray for your family, pray for, pray for your coworkers, but then you need to pray for the people in Williamston. How many other there are people in Williamston need to be saved? Okay, then you need to pray for Anderson County. Okay, and then after pray for Anderson County, why don't you pray for the upstate? Then why don't you just pray for the whole state of South Carolina? Then why don't you just get big, start praying for people all over America? Lord, New York, New York, Chicago, L.A., oh God, all those people in California, Jesus, they need conviction, save them, God. Oh, God, help those people on the left coast, right? And then get beyond that and say, God, around this world, reap the global harvest. God, you're a great big God. Everybody, God all over this world, convict people. Y'all, this is a wicked world we're living. Y'all realize how wicked it is? It's wicked, and we can't crawl in the hole. We got to start praying and interceding and asking God, because if God can save Paul, who was Saul, who was a murderer and a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church and turn into an apostle, he can take the worst of the worst in this world and turn him around and use him for his cause and his glory. Somebody's got to be the Ananias. Somebody's got to be the person that talks and shares and is there that God can use. And by the way, one more thing. When, when you make a disciple, so you share your story, his story, and you get the opportunity to pray for somebody, say it's a family member, it could be your kids, could be your spouse, your mom and dad, could be a, your best friend from high school that you still stay connected with, but sh there's a real disconnect because you're light and they're dark. And they get saved. It is your responsibility now to disciple them. It's not mine. My job is to train you to disciple them. That's biblical. So you have to be their spiritual mentor. You have to be their spiritual coach. You have to train them in spiritual matters. You have to teach them spiritual truths. You have to answer their questions. If they ask you a question you don't answer, call me and I'll give you the answer. Here, Pastor, you talk to them. I'm going to hang up on you. So nope, you tell them. It's your job. Your job. If I'm going to do my job, you got to do your And you disciple them and you help them to grow. That is, listen, that's our job. Is everybody getting that? Okay, is that good? So we all know, just it's a reminder one more time of what high praises is all about. You say, I want to be part of that. Come on, get on board. If you want to be a church that's just maintaining, you get a feel good and leave and you don't have to think about God or the church or the kingdom for six more days on the next Sunday, you're in the wrong church. Y'all act like that, I might be in the wrong church. I know y'all believe it. Here's the second thing that applies to us. If you're saved, get baptized, water baptized. Or if you're saved, you know somebody that's gotten saved, but they're not water baptized, tell them they got to get water baptized. Why is water baptism so important? 
Because it's an outward testimony, a profession of an inward change that has happened in your life. Okay, it's a public profession, and it's very, very important. Jesus commanded water baptism, and so you need to get baptized. It, it provides you with a way to say publicly that the old sinful me is dead and gone, and I'm a new person. Watch my life. I'm different. I'm changed. I'm not that same person you knew anymore. And you know, water baptism, there, there's something cool about because, you know, my, my, I think my dad and I were talking or somebody, we were talking about altar services are only about, 200 years old or so. That, you didn't know, you're like, oh, we got to give an altar invitation. People got to come down and get, no, they don't. That's something new. That's new in Christendom. Most of the time, people just preach the gospel and it was your job to pray wherever you are and get saved right then and start following Jesus. Very personal thing you're supposed to do, okay? But here's why Jesus commanded the water baptism. He said, you're not going to pray a prayer and say, yeah, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus and then try to hide it. Hide it under a bushel, that ain't how you did it in Sunday school. No. Remember you used to yell it, top of your lungs? I'm going to let it shine. Let my little light shine. So you don't get saved to hide it. You get saved to reveal it. And Jesus is so smart because he's God. He said when you get saved, first thing you got to do, most important thing you got to do is we're going to get you in a public setting, and we're going to do something that's crazy. We're going to let you wade in halfway in a water source, which is a river, it's a swimming pool, it's a baptismal pool, whatever, and, and, and we're going to, put you under the water and bring you out, go in dry, come up uh, wet, and we're gonna, you're going to pr- publicly tell everybody, I'm saved. Now, why is that so important? Because everybody's watched it, and now you've got to live it. That's why if you're saying, oh, I'm saved, but I don't want to be water baptized, it may be because you don't want anybody to know. I don't even know if you're saved. Because when you get saved, you want everybody to know. So, Water baptism is important. Now, I'm going to touch on this real quick. There is a denomination. I will not name it, but there is a denomination that has taken verse um, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. They've turned it into a major doctrine. Unfortunately, it's a heresy. They say that the only way you're saved is that you have to be saved and you have to be water baptized. So if you don't get water baptized, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. Now, that's not true. Because there are too many other passages in the Bible that simply state that by grace you are saved through faith. Paul ran into this in the early church where there were Judaizers who were saved. People were getting saved, but the Judaizers said, oh, great, yeah, believe on Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Oh, but you got to be circumcised too. Their circumcision then would be this denomination's water baptism today. They said, but Jesus said to do it. Well, God said to be circumcised. So, you know, you can't go there. But Mark writes in, in, in like nutshells, okay? He writes in like he's, he's pushing things together. He isn't extending things. You have to go to the other gospels. And so that's not true. You are only saved by putting your faith in Jesus and leaning on his grace, okay? Because if you say, well, you gotta be baptized, that's a work. And for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So baptism is just a reflection of what the, of the saving work that God has done inside of you. And, and let me just give you some apologetics. You say, well, all right, well, let me just say this. So you say, well, how can you, how you still know it's not true? Well, the rest of the verse says, but he who is, uh, does not believe it will be condemned. Well, if baptism is so important, it should say, he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. But he didn't say that. Okay, so, and by the way, you had a real problem with the thief on the cross. 
He was nailed to a piece of wood. He wasn't coming off. There was no baptism for him. And yet Jesus told him what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so just wanted to clear that up. What's important? There's no excuse for not being water baptized. If you've not been baptized, uh, water baptized, and you're saved, you need to take care of this immediately. And guess what? Six o'clock tonight, YMCA. When you leave this service, go to guest services, get a packet, sign up. I don't care how old you are. You cannot be too old. You can't say, well, I've been serving the Lord a long time. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. You got to be obedient to Jesus. Okay? Is that good? Y'all got it? Y'all too quiet. Here's the third thing. Spiritual, supernatural activity can and should follow spiritual transformation or change. These signs, he said, will follow those that believe. Signs mean miraculous works of God, divine works of God. I, I preached one time, and actually when I was on Daystar, I get to be on television on Daystar with Marcus Lamb, and I, and I preached a little sermon. At the end, I told him we settle for the sensational when we could have the supernatural. I don't want the sensational. I thank God for lights and backgrounds and big screens and, and nice music and all that. I'm thankful for all that stuff. And hazers, you know, and you can see the, the light beams and all that. That's cool. All that stuff's cool, but that, that's sensational. But that won't change your life. That won't set you free. You need the supernatural power of God. And he said these signs will follow, will follow. Y'all, we are to expect them to happen. And not just in the church. Not just, you know, I know we're Pentecostal. That's normal for us, but it's not for us. It, it, it'll follow those who believe. It, they should be following you. Supernatural things should be happening in your life. Are you believing this? It's the word of God. It should be, you should be expecting them to happen. You should be looking. How many of you know there are things that follow you? The Lord's the 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. You follow the shepherd, goodness and mercy will follow you. You follow Jesus, signs will follow you. Okay, so we expect them. Second thing is, we need to stop putting a time limit or making excuses for them. Now, there is a there there is a group of people that exist today in America and in the world, and I feel really really sorry for them. And they're very very educated, but on these things, they're educated and they don't know what they're talking about. They are called cessationist. Okay, cessationist, and the root word of cessation is cease. And if you cease doing something, you Stop doing it, right? So cessationists say that God stopped doing supernatural kind of things at the end of the first century when the apostle John died. When the last apostle died, the signs were through them, but when John, the last apostle, died, then there were no more. They don't believe, and this morning in the first service, I gave out a prophetic word under the power of the Holy Ghost. They, if they were here, they would say, you're, you're a heretic. What you did was not of God. That doesn't happen. They would, they would let me have it. Because they don't believe. Here's the problem. There's, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. What they say, you can't find it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that at the end of the first century, there will be no more supernatural works. It doesn't say. Matter of fact, there are scriptures that imply otherwise. There are scriptures just like this one that imply that for every generation of believers, these signs will follow them. I mean, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Cessationists say you, you don't have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is not of God. That's of the devil, you know, which you better be careful saying that because that's really, really blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And there's no forgiveness for that. So you never want to call what's done of God of the devil, especially the Spirit of God. That's why you reverence the Holy Spirit. But Peter preached and he said, this promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to as many 
as, as to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. That was, he was speaking generationally. Your children, you, your children. He's speaking generationally. And he says, to as many generations as the Lord our God shall call. Now that's context. So what God has done in the first century, he still does in the 21st century. Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so we should expect these things. So what are the signs? I'm gonna talk about the signs for a few minutes. Here's the signs. He says, in my name. By the way, let me talk about it. He said, in my name they will, and he gives these signs. Let me just talk about this. Signs, when God does things through you, whether it's laying hands on people, you speak in tongues, cast out demons, all these things we're gonna talk about, you do it in the name of Jesus because you don't have any power. You can't do it in your name. You gotta do it in his name. But that's where your power comes from. But also, you don't want to get the glory. God should get the glory. And if you see somebody operating in the supernatural or seems to be the supernatural, but they're taking all the glory for themselves, you better back up and check that out because you always give glory to God. Okay? So here's what, here's what he said. These signs shall follow them that believe. Here's the first one. In my name, they'll cast out demons. Cast out demons. How many of y'all know demons are real? Okay, demons are real. Look, demons don't die. Right? They're spirit beings. They don't die. So the same demons that were around in Jesus' day are still around 2,000 years later. You ever think about that? All right, so demons don't die. So we've been battling these demons in the church for 2,000 years. All right? And, and I have never personally cast out a demon. Just in my ministry, I've never had that happen. But I know plenty of people. I've been around enough situations where I've seen it. I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to tell one about my dad. Dad's here today. Dad, I'm going to tell one. If I don't get it all right, correct me later. But my dad was pastoring. And the short version is, he can fill in the details, is he had a family in his church, had a daughter that had gotten on a wild, just got wild, got out there and sin, deep sin, was all messed up, and she was in the back room of a bar room. And my dad was a young preacher then, and her, their parents called, would you go get our daughter? Will you? Dad said, sure. My, so here's my clean-cut, Pentecostal, spirit-filled preacher dad goes walking through a bar. Dad, I wish I could have seen that. I must have been a kid or not saved. I, I mean, not born, I don't remember, but... But I love seeing you walking through a bar because I've never seen that in my life. And so my dad goes walking through the bar, asked where this, if this girl's there. They said, yeah, she's in the back. He goes in the back room, and he said he tried to talk to her, and the demon manifested. Isn't that right, Pop? And so dad just said, well, we got to take care of business. And he said, in the name of Jesus, you come out of her right now. I command you to come out. And that demon had to do what my dad told her to do because he has the power and authority over the devil. And the demon came out, and you prayed her through, right? Did she get saved? She got saved. Dad prayed her through right there in the back room of a bar room. Now, that's the power that we have. I was preaching, some of you have never heard this. I've told this through the years, but I was preaching a, camp, a youth camp in Waimama, Florida. Waimama. So I used to say, why me, mama? <laughs> but anyway, it's an Indian name. Why, why, why mama? And they had this big, this big worship center. and It's a big camp, four or 500 students, and I was honored and privileged to preach it. Four or 500 students, all the staff, you, you can imagine the altar. And I'm down there, we're praying. I give an altar call, we're praying, we're being Pentecostal. God's moving, they're singing, power, God's moving. I noticed over to my left there was a little commotion, but I really didn't know what was happening because I was down there praying for people. They told me later what happened. And they said that a, stu a, a student was there, and this was a, this was a high schooler, guys. Uh, a high school boy was there, and he was demon-possessed, true blue demon-possessed. And the, the demons started manifesting. Oftentimes, when you get in a spirit-filled service, the, the devil can't stand it. He tries to disrupt it, and, he'll, and, he'll, and he'll, he'll express himself. It happened to Jesus all the time. 
The demons would manifest to try to interrupt what he's doing. And so this was happening. Well, a lot of the staff are youth pastors, and some of them are pastors. So they saw what was happening. They took this boy, and they took him in a side room. Pop, you remember that room if you're on the stage to the left. Mom, you know what I'm talking about. You were there. Dad was state youth director in Florida. So there's, there's to the left. They took him back in the room. There's a couch in that room. These are grown men trying to hold this boy down. But when the demons possess you, you get supernatural strength. They could not hold this boy down. It was taking everything they could do to hold him down. And they didn't know what to do. Unfortunately, ones in they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know what to do. Fortunately, that night, I believe it was God, there was a gentleman who came. A lot of times in the youth camps, people would come in and visit just to be part of the service. There was a guy there that night that was directly connected with an organization that they deal in the supernatural. They're, they're, they're godly people, spirit-filled people, and they deal with witches and demons and things like that and casting them out. That's kind of their special. He just happened to be there that night. He immediately discerned and saw what was happening. He zeroed in on that, made his way down the side, walked into that room, told the people there who he was and said, do I have permission? Can I handle this? And they were desperate. They said yes. And so he, they got him on a couch. They're trying to hold him down. They can't hold him down. And I know this is true because all the people in there, I knew their witnesses. They were, they were eyewitnesses. They were in there. They came out with their jaws dropped in awe when they told me the story. And I actually ran the guy down and, and I... I I found him and I ran him down. And I said, tell me everything that just happened in there and how you did it. This is what he did. He looked at the, he said, he said, angels. He spoke to the angels. He said, in the name of Jesus, pin that young man's arms down to the couch. And they, they said he was flailing. And he went, Shoop. now he's kicking his feet. He said, angels, pin that young man's feet to the floor. And he went, Shoop. and he's doing this. And he said, guys, get up and let him go. And they said, they told me, they were coming out running me down, saying, you're not going to believe what we just saw. They said, we backed off. And they said, he couldn't move. The angels were pinning him to the couch. There aren't just demons, there are angels. The good guys win. And so this man then went over and was going to cast the demons out. Well, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And so he's going to look in his eyes because you can see the demonic activity in the window. That boy shut his eyes. The demon made him shut his eyes. He said, open your eyes. He said, no, I'm not going to open my eyes. He said, okay. He said, angels, take the tips of your swords and pry open this young man's eyes so that he cannot shut them. And those guys said, he went and couldn't close his eyes. And that man looked down and said, demon, tell me your name. Who are you? Tell me your name. Identify yourself. And he said, in the name of Jesus, now I command you, come out. And he said, he cast, I think he cast more than one demon out of that boy that night and, and set that young man free. When he walked out, I saw him come out. They were dragging him like a limp doll. He was, he was, that, that's what the devil will do. The devil will sap the life out of you. That's why you ought to serve Jesus, not the devil. And they drug him out. I'm telling you, there are devils, but you have more power than the devil. The greatest tool of the devil is fear. If the devil can get you to be afraid of him and demons, that's why you shouldn't watch horror movies. That's why you should not watch your children, allow your children to watch horror movies, because those are tools of the devil to make you afraid. And if he can make you afraid, then he will paralyze you and minimize you. What you need to know is you've got more power than the devil. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. You don't normally step on a snake or a scorpion but when you got the power of God you can step on snakes and scorpions and that's a metaphor for the devil and he said over all that I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you so here's what happens if you ever run into that don't go running don't pick up the phone because you call me I'm going to say you handle it and hang up 
You know what you do? Don't be afraid. You can't be afraid because if you're afraid, the devil knows it. Look, if you got, you're a grown adult, all right, and you've got some little kid, some snotty little neighbor's kids coming over, jerking up all your petunias or whatever it is that you've planted. I don't know, flowers. Plant, jerking up all your flowers that you spent hours yesterday planting. He's jerking them up and kicking dirt. Are you going to stand there and let that happen? You're going to come out and say, what are you doing? Get out of my yard, right? Get out of here. And that little kid knows you can beat him up. But if you're scared, that little kid might know it. Just keep on looking at you. Just keep on jerking. Oh, you don't want to do that to me. Right? So but you come out in authority and say, get out of my yard. Get out of here. Right? You're exercising your authority as an adult over a child. Same thing with the devil. You cannot let the devil see you be afraid. That's why you got to stay in the word. You got to know the truth, and the truth will set you free from fear. And you got to, and if you ever, if you ever run into a demon, okay, make sure you prayed up. Go get in the corner, pray up, make sure your life's right, because the devil knows. I had a friend of mine who was a youth pastor. He he was gonna, he had a youth, a de- demon manifested in his youth group. This is a true story. His name is Bob. Bob had a youth, demon manifest. He said, Well, you know, nobody would deal with it. I'm the youth pastor. I figured I go to de- I gotta deal with it. He said, So I walked over there, I started talking to that, and that demon looked at him and said, Who do you think you are? You haven't even prayed today. And he looked at me, he told me, he said, Chris, I hadn't prayed that day. He said, I'm out of here, somebody else got it. You have to know Bob. Go over there, get prayed up in a corner, then come back and say, devil, in the natural, you may be greater than me, but in the spiritual, I'm greater than you and I've got authority over you and you know it and I know it. And so I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, come out of him, come out of her, leave right now and do what I tell you in the name of Jesus. Pastor, what'll happen? Well, if you believe, most likely the demon's gonna come out. Perry Stone, y'all know Perry Stone? Perry Stone was telling a story one time and he was in Virginia camp meeting and he said he, and a, he was a young evangelist, a bunch of other young evangelists, was a demon-possessed guy come to camp meeting. They were down there, they were praying, they were trying to deal with that demon. They didn't know what they were doing. And the, and the state overseer came off stage, old seasoned veteran, and, and uh, he said, brother officer, come over. He said, we got this, this man's demon-possessed. We need, we need some help. Never blinked an eye, never got excited. He said, okay, Perry, come on. He walked over. He said, devil, in the name of Jesus, you come out of him right now. And he said, the devil went out of him. He said, all right, Perry, y'all take care from there. He went on, whatever he was going to do. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be there? Okay, it's just, you got to know who you are. In my name, you shall cast out demons. All right, let's just, we got to hurry. I need more time. I need 45 more minutes. We're not going to do it. I promise. Cast out demons. Speak with new tongues. We Pentecostals know that one, don't we? I don't have a problem speaking in tongues. If you got a problem speaking in tongues, you speak Spanish, German, Italian, French, you know, pig Latin. I mean, come on. If you can, if you can learn to speak those foreign languages, why can't you speak a heavenly language? Right? We get all of it, oh, tongues. Come on, man. It's just, it's just a heavenly language. But it's the best language of all. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking it through you. And I'm not going to, I don't have the time. But we all, thank God we Pentecostals are free from any kind of bondage. We know, man, when you get saved and then you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that is the initial, not the only, but the initial evidence that you know you've been, look, if it was good enough for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, y'all, it's good enough for me. Okay, but I, I can't have time to preach on tongues. Well, that'd have to be another time. Now, here's the good, but I got to deal with this. In my name, they will take up serpents. I am so sick and tired of every time I meet somebody and they find out I'm a pastor and they say, where are you pastor? High praise you, sir. What kind of church is that? I say, Pentecostal. The stinking first thing they say to me is, do y'all handle snakes? 
Y'all get that? You know what I tell them? I say, no, we shoot snakes. That's what I tell them. I said, we don't handle snakes, we shoot. But you had that stinking TV show that came on up in the mountains. They, and by the way, they Church of God something. They ain't this Church of God, so just so you know. They ain't us. But they're up there handling rattlesnakes. Y'all, that's dumb. That, that's testing the Lord. That is not what that scripture means. <laughs> Y'all heard that story about that guy went to a church, and they, uh, they, it was a singing group. You never heard this guy, Whitney Bagwell. They went to church that handled snakes. They were going to sing. And he said, there's all these pictures of people on the wall, photos. And he said, who's that? They said, Them, them's the people that didn't have the faith. He said, I'm in that crowd. <laughs> he said, you handle snakes. He said, I need to know where the back door is. They don't have one. He said, where do you want it? <laughs> Ain't going to be no snake handling in this church, okay? But Paul got shipwrecked on the island of Malta then they're freezing, they're wet, they're building fires. He went over and got some sticks and a poisonous viper was in there, didn't know it, latched onto his hand. He shook it off in the fire and, and, and the, the natives who didn't know Jesus said, well, wow, he escaped the justice of the, you know, they believed in the God of justice. And they thought, well, he got away from the sea, but the, but the snake got him, he'll die. He's supposed to die. Well, he didn't die. Well, then that opened the door instead of them believing that he was a, criminal that was supposed to be punished. Now they believed he was a messenger of God. So I don't think that's what that means, handling snakes, okay? I think Paul's story gives us an idea about snakes, okay? I ain't handling no snakes, okay? I just ain't. Good snake is a dead snake, okay? I might leave a black snake alone, but I ain't gonna like it. All right, so the handle snake. Here's the next one. If they drink any deadly poison, any deadly thing, it will not harm them. Now, look, that don't mean go out here and go get pressed on or whatever. What do you call that stuff? Antifreeze. Don't go out to today's house. Let's find out how this thing works, Lord. Go, 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 go. Please do not do that. Okay? Don't be an idiot. That's not what that means. This is about divine protection. Let me tell you a story that's true. There was a, there was a group of people that started a church uh, it was out in the country, and there was a local farmer, guy out there, did not want it, didn't like it. It was next to his property. He hated that they were out there. They were Pentecostals. He hated, that made him hate it even worse. And so they dug a well, so they have well water, and they had their church, and they kept meeting, meeting, meeting for weeks and weeks and weeks. Finally, one service, this old boy come busting through the door, came in, ran to the altar, prayed, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And when they got finished, he got up and he said, let me tell you something. I have been the opponent. I didn't want y'all here. And I'm just going to confess something to you. He said, weeks ago, I have been putting rat poison in your well every day because I was going to kill every one of you. But he said, I've sat out in the woods and watched y'all drink from that well time after time after time. And you don't die. You don't get sick. He said, God must be real. And you all must be real. And I want what you got. And now I got it. And I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Then you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Listen, you can lay hands. You need to lay hands on your kids. I remember Evan got real sick one time and we, we did all the medicine thing fine. I said, babe, we got to pray for him. Lee and I, we, you remember that? Lee, it was Green Acres. I mean, he was sick. And we got, we got down, we laid hands on him. We said, God, you got to push back this fever. You got to touch him and touch his body. And the Lord began to work in his life. Y'all, you have the power and authority to lay hands on sick people. That ought to start with your, your family, your kids, your mom, husband and wife. You ought to lay hands on each other. 
Listen, all the men in the church, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. Your wife gets sick, all right, let her go to the doctor, do all things. If that doesn't work, say, honey, get in here and lay your hands on your wife's head and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you sickness to leave her body. Take authority over that thing. All the men said, and all the wives said, okay, you got to take authority of that thing. Somebody's sick at work. Man, I'm sick as a dog. Just go, can I lay hands on you, pray for you? And they so sick, they ain't going to care. Take them by the hand. Lay hands on them. Just grab their hand. That's laying hands on them. Lord, in the name of Jesus, heal Billy Bob Bubba Joe right here, right now, God. I'm just making up a name. Susie Q, God, just heal her right now in the name of Jesus. Come, You know, what if I get in trouble? Don't worry about getting in trouble. Boss might come over and say, well, you pray for me. Pray for them. Just pray real fast. You want to pray? Don't pray one of them twenty-minute prayers. Praying for the missionaries, everybody. Just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, heal them right now. In the name of Jesus, God, make them whole. In Jesus' name, Amen. You're gonna be all right. Walk away. Let God be God. What if they get better? I gotta close. I'm running out of time. I got 24, 23 minutes, 22 minutes, 21 seconds, 20 seconds. Stand with me. I was wondering about this message being too short. Now it's too long. Let me tell you something that'll get you excited. You ready for this? If he did it back then for them, he'll do it today for you and me. Same God worked them, same word. There's, there's a word there that y'all, y'all gonna probably be familiar with. The Lord working with them is what verse 20 says, I think. Verse, Lord working with them. In the Greek, that's the word that we, the word, the Greek word from which we get our English word, synergy. Synergy. Two forces working together. If you have a manufacturing company that's great in production but bad in, in, in logical st- uh, uh, statistics and uh, uh, the logical structure of things, um, but you got a company that's bad in their in their their logistics. The word I'm trying to get out is poor in their logistics but great in their production. And then you got another company that's that's great in their production but poor in their logistics. Oftentimes in business, those two companies will identify the strengths of each other and they'll merge. You'll emerge the company. So what happens where the strength of the logistics here helps the weakness of this company, but the, the strength of the production helps the weakness of the production of this company. That's synergy. Okay, here's what happened. God said to the early church, you don't have to do this by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. I'm gonna work with you. Anytime you operate in any of these things, whether it's sharing the gospel, getting somebody water baptized, or being water baptized, where you're making a public profession, now I gotta be accountable or whether it's functioning and flowing in the supernatural gifts of God, God said, I'm gonna work with you because that's how it'll happen. And he confirmed his word. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. I know we run out of time. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say in this house, Pastor, I want to be someone who shares the gospel. I want, I want to be baptized. I want to help encourage people to be baptized and identify and be accountable. Most of all, I want the signs to follow my life. Let me see your hand if that's you. Throw your hand if that's you, okay? I want you to tell Jesus that right now with your hands up. But I'm going to pray with you. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this word. We've worshiped. We've had a glorious time. And Father, I just I know I've given a lot, but I've given what you I felt like you gave me. And I pray in the name of Jesus before we leave this house that God, everybody in this house, you will, will pursue and fulfill the Great Commission. When you open the door, we'll talk about Jesus. We'll share Jesus. We'll lead people to Jesus. And that God, we will be baptized and then we'll encourage people who are saved to get water baptized. And we're going to be accountable. We're going to let the world know who we are. We can do that through the power of God. And then, God, we want the signs to follow us. God, those of us that aren't filled with the Holy Ghost, baptize us with the Holy Ghost. We can speak in those new tongues. 
God, let us flow and operate in the power of the Spirit. Let the signs follow us, God. This world is hungry and ripe and ready for the power of God. So I just pray in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.